This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Hello, this is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host of the podcast, ADHD Focus, and now we're also uh, in video on YouTube and on the Experts and Authors TV channels on Roku and Firestick. And I'm very glad to have, to me, a special guest today. Uh, Cynthia Hammer uh, is the founder of the Inattentive ADHD Coalition. The website is iadhd.org. It is the second nonprofit about ADHD, which Cynthia has founded and started. She founded ADD Resources back in the mid-1990s, and this was the purpose of educating people about ADHD because she found after her diagnosis, that it was very hard to get information about it. And I had uh, the pleasure of being involved with ADD Resources for a number of years, and now glad to reconnect with Cynthia in her new venture. So, Cynthia, thanks for joining us. Thank you, David. Um, so, we've uh, decided to look at the uh, overall topic of girls and ADHD, both inattentive and the combined type, which is inattentive and hyperactive. Um, but first, we wanted to talk about the confusion in terms of the official diagnostic label of ADHD separated into primarily inattentive and, prim- and combined and how that perpetuates kind of the myth in many people's minds that, oh, you have to have the hyperactivity to have the disorder. Have you found that to be true, Cynthia, and in people you've talked to as far as this confusion? I don't know about that. I just think having the name hyperactivity, when they explain that it means we all have hyperactive minds, I think that is getting very esoteric. It's not Mm -hmm. how most people think of hyperactivity. They think it means you have a physically hyperactive body. And those of us with the inattentive type of ADHD do not have the physically hyperactive body. I know that, in fact, from having interviewed women with hyperactivity, and they talk like they always need one part of their body to be in motion. Mm-hmm. Or talking fast and agree, certainly by uh, mid-late high school, most even boys in the myth that was in the 1990s and before was that only boys, hyperactive boys, have ADHD and they outgrow it. Well, no, they don't outgrow it. By high school, you're kind of socialized that you don't get up and 
move around in the classroom and you don't, you aren't disruptive, but your mind might be going, you play three sports, um, and it's particularly the mind going really fast that's the hyperactive part often in adults and somebody part moving or talking fast, um, those kinds of things that the hyperactive part shows up differently. Uh-huh. It just seems somehow, I don't know if it's from how the condition first was described, but it's so much in the public knowledge of this image that it's someone that's physically hyperactive and disruptive in the classroom. And uh-huh. to try to move that image to a wider frame of reference so that it includes these other people, boys as well as girls, who Mm-hmm. Are not physically hyperactive. It's a very hard thing to do. And especially yeah. when the name of it include, continues to include that word. So there's a lot of people out there that dislike the name ADHD for a lot of reasons. But the reason I've come to dislike it is because it has that word hyperactivity in there and it totally negates those of us with the condition who don't present with that aspect of it. Exactly. And it may be well and good in academic research to then have this qualifier of, well, it's ADHD primarily inattentive, primarily combined. Um, but that last part is left out. You just see, oh, the diagnosis is ADHD. Um, and it definitely is confusing. Well, I in, in a way, it doesn't really matter. I've read that the medicines are the same, whichever type presentation mm-hmm. you have. Dr. Dodson says maybe the inattentive type needs a little smaller dose. I don't know if that's true. But where the problem is, is in the image it creates. And so yes. it, it combines, it, it, it contributes, I should say, to the underdiagnosed of those that have inattentive ADHD. And you can, Tell me if I have this wrong, but the children who do get diagnosed are diagnosed by age seven. But that's not covering all the children we're figuring out now who did not get diagnosed. And the predominant predominance of the ones that aren't getting diagnosed are those with the inattentive ADHD or females who were hyperactive, but they suppressed it because the culture gives them such a strong message that we don't like girls that are too wild, too energetic, you know, too active. And so they well, work I, to I'll, suppress it. I think the the diagnosis by age seven isn't, uh, isn't accurate. Partly that's why in the new diagnostic criteria um it was expanded up to well it could be up to eight behaviors or traits of adhd that were present before age 12 was part of the criteria for diagnosis this was in 2013 with the dsm the diagnostic manual for uh psychiatric, psychologic conditions. But in my experience, even age 12 doesn't pick up on, I think, the the obvious, uh, that more obvious to everybody issues. That is, 
a child can be do fine in elementary school. They're intelligent and it seems pretty easy. And they have one teacher and there's established, here's when you do the homework and the teacher reminds you. They get to middle school, they have five teachers, they have different times, different assignments are due, and their inability to plan and organize, that shows up. And I, and I think that's true throughout in terms of it becoming obvious because it's when the life situation overwhelms the executive functions or the ones that don't work well. Well, I guess we could, um, have an intellectual conversation about this because I don't yeah. think it, it shows up. I think it's a condition you're born with. And the problem oh, yeah. is, problem is people aren't recognizing it early enough. And so they say by age 12, because that's when they're starting to see it in people. People are starting middle right. school and their life gets harder. Right. But if they knew what to look for, they could recognize it earlier. That's my position. Um, if, if, I well, mean, Dr. Oren Mason see, told me he felt comfortable diagnosing children by the age of seven. And so oh, if someone I feel came comfortable in- doing it, but I think there are still people and children that it's not so obvious. Maybe it's there if people knew what to look for, but then there are these myths that, oh, well, you're doing fine. You have good grades, you're, you know, well-behaved. That is, the teacher wouldn't know you're daydreaming because you're not causing the problems of the disruptive kids that right. draw but, that teacher's but attention. But what we're hearing from these people is that delayed diagnosis has negative impacts. Oh, well, absolutely. And so, absolutely. And so we shouldn't accept it. We shouldn't say, oh, it's okay to diagnose by age 12 because you've already had a child living five or six years of their life thinking they're different, thinking they don't fit in, thinking I have to try hard to be acceptable. I'm not not saying that um, we ignore it or say you wait until age 12. I'm just thinking all of the types of things that can bring out the symptoms are not always evident by age seven. Some are, but organization, parents are the kind of executive function of children who are five, six, and seven. So you wouldn't, it's not expected that, okay, the child is going to know when the math packet is due and have it in their backpack and remember to turn it in. Certainly happens, and a child who gets it done, gets the homework done and doesn't turn it in, to me is a big red flag that ADHD may be there. But I don't think the child is expected to remember that, do that, until later grades than right. yeah. first or second. Well, so I, I, I don't have the knowledge with so many individuals i where my knowledge comes from is to listening to people who have have the knowledge so it's mm-hmm. a double interpretation but my feeling is that there's a bell-shaped curve to children's behavior in the classroom and the teacher could pick out the children who are on the tail end of the bell curve and that 
a, a, a psychologist told me that she could go into a classroom and observe for an hour and pick out the children. Oh, yeah. Pick out but the psychologists children. psychologists can. But teachers aren't trained how to, and so you say they could pick it out. And I think that's another whole section where teachers in a recent survey, um, the teachers, many of them, I think 40 or 50 percent said, I don't know anything about ADHD. I certainly wasn't taught any. And I think that's a shortcoming of the training of teachers. Why isn't uh, any behavioral kind of thing trying to distinguish learning disorders, ADHD, particularly with the impact it has? Why isn't that part of the basic education part a teacher gets? Much well, I think less a, lot of that a class is, or two. A lot of that is what we're helping to evolve and that um, mm-hmm. there's this growing awareness of neurodivergence and that maybe 20% of the population have neurodivergent conditions like ADHD, autism, uh, Tourette's, I think OCD is on that. Um, mm-hmm. And and we find it challenging to fit into the neuronormal expectations. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole wave coming now of creating universal design, inclusive design, so that just like we've learned with handicap, we build ramps, we build elevators, we build, Mm -hmm. we incorporate um, people to interpret for the deaf. So we've learned to how to expand what, what we offer so it's a more inclusive and that the whole movement coming forward that there's a group of us who haven't felt included and that if you make some simple adjustments and just open up how you ex- accept people, we're going to feel a lot more welcomed and less stigmatized. And I think that's a, a part of a whole new learning that businesses are engaged in now and schools are going to have to be engaged in. And so we're not at that point now where we can say, point out these children that have the neurodivergence, but I think it's coming and we need to help them to learn earlier because that is when they're going to start thriving in life. We can't accept how it is now with adults getting diagnosed at 80 50 in their 50s and, and regretting their life. You know, right. we need to and, develop the knowledge so we can identify these children early. And when I mean early, I mean by seven years old, because that is when they're starting their school history. Some of them are very intelligent and maybe they can get by, but they're telling us they still suffered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, part of the problem, and I think there's going to be a a lag time here where even if someone's diagnosed at age seven now, someone who's now 45, there was, there weren't even the diagnostic criteria until 1993 that started to say, Oh, this attention hyperactivity is real. Before that it was minimal brain dysfunction or uh, my mother was a counselor and therapist and worked with children. And I can remember, um, and this was in uh, probably around 1970, she said, we just don't know what to do with these kids that have this minimal brain dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And 
that's the best anybody could explain it. There wasn't a kind of um, coalition of or a number of people talking about it. Gee, this is what we could call it. So someone who's now 35, when they were seven, uh, oh, 37, so I can do the math more easily. So it would have been 1993 or so. Mm-hmm. The diagnosis is an official published thing came out. Most psychiatrists, much less primary care docs, that doesn't percolate down for a long time. And doctors have the same myth conceptions as everyone else. Oh, it doesn't exist. Uh, You aren't hyperactive. You've got good grades. It couldn't be ADD. So it is going to take a lag time. But I 100% agree with you that neurodivergence needs to be recognized and uh, even learning disorders i can serve right put into that because yeah dyslexia is because of the way your brain processes things Mm -hmm. that's divergence from the neurotypical and uh, accommodations are starting to be recognized sometimes it's a lot more difficult to get them um but the, well, the uh, other thing, and I, I don't know for autism, what, I think autism's highly genetic too, but ADHD is highly genetic. And so if we increase the number of children that get diagnosed and we say, we, as soon as a child gets diagnosed with this, we recommend screening to the parents, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is going to help. So right. oh, when I, I interviewed I these 25 women, some of them found out after their child got diagnosed. Some of them, thankfully, found out during COVID because they watched TikTok and Instagram. And that, you know, mm-hmm. it gets criticized, but I have to say good for them because at least out of yeah. 25 women, the ones that offered to get interviewed by me, so I'm not saying mm-hmm. it's a true sample, but they... Tw- a third of them said they only recently learned because of something they saw on TikTok or Instagram. So yeah, um, the, there I is this there, there's this whole group. And the other thing I like to think about the group is, I don't know if you agree with this, but we we say that only of adults, only twenty percent of adults have been diagnosed with ADHD. And I think. It's the more intelligent ones that have been diagnosed. Who have been or have not been. It's the intelligent ones who got diagnosed because they say, why aren't I performing better? I know I'm smart. Why am I continuing to have problems in life? Or they're the ones that have the money to go get the diagnosis. And I think when we go around and say that people with ADD are really bright, we're looking at a skewed sample because I agree yeah. with Dr. Barkley. The intelligence is separate oh. from the ADHD. Well, yeah, and I and think most we're not talking do. about the ones that that are in jail, the ones that are um, mm-hmm. struggling in yeah. life, the ones that are on SSI. You know, I just think that there's a lot of us. That we have a skewed image of what ADAD is like when we only look at adults who have been diagnosed. That's true. I don't think that 
uh, in my experience, intelligence, ones who are intelligence, intelligent aren't the only ones who get diagnosed. Um, there are people that they may be diagnosed, but because they've had a problem at work, they've been written up. Now they have three jobs. They're intelligence, but it's not their intelligence that leads them to seek diagnosis. Uh, it's someone the else, fact that, someone else you know, was alerting yeah, someone them else to sees it. it or their, you uh-huh. know, their spouse says, you know, how, you've had all these different jobs. Or, and many people, it's, yes, my child got diagnosed, so I wanted to look at it. But they're not people that have, you know, an IQ of 120 or higher. Um, so it is You don't is think a, the 20% but, are the more... I, I do, but I don't oh. think that 20% are Exclusive. mostly the intelligent, yeah. higher IQ people. I yeah. do absolutely think, is it the figures I've seen, 20, 25% of adults who actually have ADHD, only about a quarter of them have been diagnosed. So 4% of the population of adults have ADHD. Um, Say that again. So, I, I think I got lost. So, I lost okay. what you said. Um, 4% of the adults in the United States, Scandinavian countries, Brazil, Italy, Australia, uh, China, and that's research is in all of those countries. It's not just in the U.S. But 4% of adults have ADHD. So if the population of the U.S. is somewhere around 330, 350 million. Well, that's uh, many, many people that have ADHD, but it's not recognized. Mm-hmm. A recent uh, survey that done um, figured that 60 to 70 percent of people in prisons have ADHD. And yeah, that's not unusual with impulsive behavior, um, all kinds of different things, and substance abuse, addictions. Yeah, when you escape. think something's a good idea and later you realize it wasn't a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the keys are in that car. Let's see how a Ferrari is driving or speeding tickets and then causing uh, danger or having guns and getting upset with someone or just beating right. the heck out of someone. Yeah. With, I mean, you know, Dr. Hallowell used else. to talk, if you have ADD, you shouldn't have sharp knives in your family. And I thought, boy, that's extreme. But yeah. if you, if you um, have that impulsivity. Yes. Yeah. The impulsivity makes for, uh, and I worry about some kids when they're 12, 13, 14, and they're not just pushing someone, but they're beating up someone or they're, really insulting someone, you get to be 18, 19, you're an adult and you're going to be held responsible for smashing someone's car to pieces or beating them up. Um, so it's a, it's very, uh, difficult to see that it has been underdiagnosed. And I see this in so many kids and behaviors. One fellow was, I think he was about eight or nine, and he was so frustrated during a test that he threw his pencil on the floor. The teacher 
perceived that to be early violent behavior, entered, emptied the classroom because he was violent. And this whole thing about let's have a behavior oh, plan oh because of this oh. violent kid. Oh. He's not trying to hurt anybody. He was upset that he couldn't do the test. And I think um, just starting to see things that unfortunately not in educational or in the education system of these behavior plans and someone's misbehaving, it's not because they're a violent person. They are acting out the fact that they're frustrated yeah. or they're yeah. angry, but an eight-year-old can't express that in words. Well, I'm angry because I couldn't catch up on the test. Yeah. They're going to yeah. show it. Um, so I want to, what is what, you, I assume that you've had young children where the family refuses to medicate them and others that do. Can you talk mm-hmm. about the, the path that that puts the child on or what happens? Yeah. Um, I'm thinking of one woman who's now, I think, 52, and I've seen her for about four years. She said she was diagnosed quite early, and her mother said, no child of mine is going to be put on addicting medicines. And my view on that, little sidebar, is yes, amphetamines are addicting to people who don't have ADHD. Someone who's taking it as prescribed, Diagnosed with ADHD, they generally have it. They're taking an amphetamine for it. If they take more than what helps them, it doesn't feel good. There's no incentive to keep taking more. They don't get a euphoria. They have a headache or their heart's going 150 beats a minute and it's uncomfortable or they just feel really not okay. So they cut back down to the amount that works for their focus. It's great. They're going to get addicted to it. Well, I'm I think not talking in my about the practice, addiction. I'm talking about how it helps the child or not helps the yes, child to be yes. on medication. And well, part of the, the, the reason a child doesn't get on it is parents again have a have, myth. They believe yeah, a myth. Yeah, have a myth and this myth information and those medications are terrible. They aren't when they're used appropriately prescribed to someone who actually has ADHD. So this person, um, I diagnosed, I think when she was about 48 and really small amount, 10 milligrams of an Adderall tablet twice a day. She said, it's changed my life. Mm-hmm. I was able to go from a structured working for an organization as a social worker slash therapist to being independent in practice and being able to manage the billing and patients. And she said, this is a new life. And she's That's still what I was told when I got mother. diagnosed. They said, you'll be living a whole new life. But I'm wondering if a parent does not accept medication for their child, are you still able to help that child in any way? Yes. Um, there definitely are systems and structured support that can help. Um, education of parents, and I 
say, read things about it. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to put your child on medication. That's not my choice, but I want to give you information about it. And we know that medication is the thing that makes the most difference. And I look at uh, the kinds of thing that can help as a, a tripod. You have to have uh, medication so that people can pay attention to learn the strategies. And you have to get good sleep and get exercise and avoid red food dye. And there's some things nutritionally, too. Mm-hmm. But uh, the basic sleep and exercise, the strategies, having a planner, write things down, have someone to, uh, that you can commit, kind of an accountability person, and medication. If you don't have all three, it's not going to work. Yeah. Um, so there's, and supplements work to some degree. They don't address the actual neurologic problem that's going on. Uh, there are various, uh, I'd say technological things that can help train, um, brain to focus better. Um, but the problem with those is a lot of them, do great in the lab, great your working memory has improved. Mm-hmm. But you still don't remember to turn in your homework. So in the practical world, it does it may make a difference if they're doing it for two or three years. Okay. But that's a long time. Meanwhile, they're flunking out of school, they're flunking classes, they're being ostracized by uh their peers. They get this belief that I'm bad as a person. And I think that's the the worst part. It's not that my behavior doesn't fit, uh-huh. but I'm bad, I'm defective, and then that trips into shame. And I think shame is a huge, huge part of people dealing with ADHD. Mm-hmm. So in your experience, and you've interviewed uh, recently, uh, had interviewed, I think it was 25 women with the combined type, but have had many contacts with other uh, people in the inattentive type. So let's turn our, I guess, attention to girls with ADHD. One thing I wanted to bring up on that and yeah. is Dr. I heard Dr. Barkley say that there's no mental health condition that has as effective treatments as we have for ADHD. That mm-hmm. if someone it's has very... bipolar or depression or anything else, their their treatments, their ability to find a medicine that makes a difference is not as great as people with oh, ADHD. Yeah. So we are it's fortunate. Much more and and it's it's more unfortunate when people don't realize that this could be the golden ticket in a way. It's not it's not yeah. the panacea, but Right. It puts but it's it makes your brain necessary. function more normally. And who yes. doesn't want a brain that's function functioning optimally? Exactly. Exactly. And and I'd agree with uh Dr. Bartley a hundred percent that it is pretty straightforward on a medical uh treatment basis to say, you know what, methylphenidates or some type of amphetamine and they're a variety of different combinations and uh, 
ways of delivering the medication, but they're basically three medications for ADHD, an amphetamine, a methylphenidate, or a dexmethylphenidate, Mm. kind of cousin of the methylphenidate. Every other name of them are just different ways of putting them together, and whether they're immediate release or longer kinds of things. But for a doctor, that's pretty basic. Here you go. Whereas antidepressants, there's a whole bunch of different ones. And is the depression part of bipolar or what are the other factors? So it's much more difficult to find a good medication start to treat. And that makes me think of this other myth that I hate to hear. They say, oh, it's just drug companies wanting to sell their medicine. You don't hear that about medicine for diabetes. You don't hear that about medications for depression. You don't feel like the drug company has thought up of this illness just so they can sell a drug. Uh, It's it's another very um, pernicious and harmful myth. Yeah, and I I look at it as the drug companies are following the model of capitalism. That's they see a need, and you come up with something that can meet the need, and you sell it. Uh, that's where Ritalin was the brand name in 1954. Mm-hmm. Gee, what are we going to do about this? And observations come up to, oh, if they take this medicine, these people perform better. Let's make a medicine that we can sell. Right. So the condition was there. Mm-hmm. And someone saw an opportunity to develop a product and sell it because it helped the condition. It's not the other way around. Drug right. companies didn't invent right. it to no. get more. That would Absolutely. be a hard sell. Yes. We have this yeah, a very hard the sell. illness. Yeah, yeah. Just let's <laughs> say it's this and this and this. No, it, it, that's exactly right. So, how is it do you think that girls with ADHD get missed in elementary school or um, early in their schooling? Would it be? I think it's um, two things. First, teachers don't know what to look for. Probably their schools don't want to identify more children that need accommodations. But it's also what Dr. Mason once said is that the teachers are looking for the Kids that might be trouble, that might have trouble in school, maybe the first couple weeks of school. And then they, they've moved on. They start teaching. And, and the children that have the inattentive type might not show up right away. You know, uh-huh. we, we can oh, yeah. be engaged and pay attention when it's new and interesting. But after a few weeks of school, we might be the ones, uh, getting bored, looking out the window, not paying attention to what the teacher's saying. So we might, if the teachers learn to look for us, they should look for us maybe a month after school started. And the, yeah, Uh, and the way that we think teachers could tell us is, well, you tell us, describe how, how they could recognize us and I'll add things. Um, I'm going to, intervene or add a sidebar here. Um, Dr. Ted Mandelkorn, who practiced here in, uh, locally in the Seattle area 
for many years. At one point, uh, made a, uh, did some video recordings with patients of his teenagers. And he asked girls, um, you know, do you daydream in class? And, oh yeah, all the time. Would the teacher know it? Well, no, I'm not stupid. I'm looking at the teacher. <laughs> Boys are the ones looking out the window, throwing spitballs. Oh. Girls, oh. I, I don't want the teacher to think bad of me. I'm looking at the teacher, but I'm daydreaming about wanting this um, oh. game or dress or what I'm going to be yeah. doing yeah. with my friends. Uh. So uh-huh. it's uh, the the mask, the behaviors is very um, true, and I think well, in a way, you're way saying it gets harder to diagnose the older the yes. girl gets because she's learning to mask more and more. Yes. She's causing yes. herself more problems, but she's hiding it better and better. Yes, and certainly, uh, and this has happened so many times that. A girl who's in 10th grade, she's getting very good grades, A's and B's. She has hardly any social contact. She's not doing any school activities. She's not doing anything else because she's doing homework till 1 a.m. Because she's absolutely determined to get that done. Sometimes I think it's from perfectionism. If I get everything right, no one is going to notice that I have a problem. And having been shamed in first, second, third grade that you're dumb, whatever. And so then they get sleep deprived because they're up till one and they have to get up at 6.30. Boys give up at 7.30 and so play video games. Oh, yeah. Well, as you said that, it just, uh, my heart starts um, beating, I guess, because I remember my dad, when I went off to college, he said the only reason I got into this college is because my sister was there. And he made mm. me so fearful that I might um, not be able to stay in college that I didn't join any activities. I didn't mm-hmm. spend my time mm-hmm. productively, but I was too fearful to get engaged in stuff. And so yeah. my my years in college were not uh, – later on, I thought I would have enjoyed going to college in a – in a city more, so I, there was more interesting things to do, but I was fearful mm-hmm. to of taking on anything to do. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, if, uh, and I think that's that's the case. Now, I'm sure there are boys that end up in the same boat, usually, and it's a generalization, more boys get into the video games and um and they get very good at certain games, and a lot of them think they can become a professional gamer, which uh-huh. uh, is actually there are tournaments, and you can, if you win it, get five or ten or twenty thousand dollars, and you get sponsorships from Game Corp. There's all kinds of things. One of my patients out of oh. probably a thousand children I've seen, one is doing fairly well as a gamer. He has a part-time job that he that helps him earn money that he contributes to the family funds to because he lives at home. But it's very difficult. But I and hey, video games are more interesting in doing math. Absolutely. And I think partly because of COVID and kids being at home, 
That's the only way they could communicate with friends. Uh-huh. So people will say, yeah, I talk with my friends. Well, what they mean is they're playing a game and everybody is in different places and they're on chat all the time. Right. Um, yeah. So well, that's, that's that masking Back to talking about how the inattentive, uh, inattentive types and the girls could have been diagnosed. The, the, what they tell me is besides the dreaming, the teacher could pick up on things that they're always asking a neighbor, what page are we on? Mm-hmm. What did she just say? They might hand in the work incomplete because they didn't realize they should do the backside. Their desks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. their desks could be very messy. They have poor penmanship often. Um, they, some of them might have, be wiggling a part of their body all the time. They're restless. They mm-hmm. want to get up and wander around the classroom. They want to leave the classroom. Uh, they're just, a, and, it's not like one thing. It's a complex of behaviors and, that and fit together to say, right. this child that. has variable performance. Some days yeah. they're on That's and some exactly days the they're issue. not. Some subjects it's, they it, in, engage. It's a complex and, thing. Yeah. And, but, uh, and I think that's where, but the teacher has to know what to look for. Right. So the teachers need to be educated and learn this is a significant problem for children and on into the rest of their schooling. Kids were not diagnosed with ADHD. Up to half of them won't graduate from high school. That's a serious oh, problem. So yes, you want to catch people early, but it's that constellation is a Teacher going to know, I think there may be systems to develop to help with that, and notice that this kid does great with reading, not great at math because she doesn't like it. Things are always incomplete in only her math things. It may not be a learning disorder, but she's not paying attention. If she's asking someone where what we're doing, that's more labeled as, oh, you're talking in class. And not looking at ah, what ah. are you talking about. Yeah. So a teacher yeah. can see, yeah, you're talking in class all the time. That's what they get <laughs> criticized or disciplined about. Yeah. But they don't know it's move asking, that child off to be by themselves and they won't be producing at all. Yes, exactly. Um so it is a constellation of symptoms and that's uh ADD in general. A lot of people say, well, yeah, all kids put things off or sure they want to play games or whatever. But it's the number of they're always losing things, always off distracted, they don't follow conversations mm-hmm. and they put things off and they don't follow through. It's gotta have all those. Well that it's interesting. I didn't know that about only half of them would finish high school if they aren't diagnosed. Mm-hmm. But the reason I think when, when we hear that it's a public health problem is since we've learned that they die 12 years earlier. And yes. and how their life is to contribute to their death is they're committing suicide or they're involved and, in substance abuse. They develop and, severe and health problems. They're obese they, and they're not exercising. And, they're risk and takers and they're poor things. drivers. And a lot of it, too, is 
if you lump in the statistics of children under five with ADHD are much more likely to have emergency room visits, to have unintentional injuries. And I think if a child under five, the second time they're in an emergency room with a serious injury, that should be in some an indication of we have to look and see what's happening. Because yeah. kids are impulsive yeah. or think, oh, I can do that, and they're tiptoeing along a wall, and they don't fall to the side where it's only three feet. They fall to the side where it's ten feet, and so they break an arm. Well, and um, I, and and I, uh, when you say that about accidents, I think that it's true for the inattentive types as well for the combined. Oh yes. Because oh yeah. I've had my share of accidents, and I even have gotten bitten by dogs because I didn't realize I was annoying the dog. Yeah. No, I I think it's very true that not not realizing the risk, not really assessing a situation, mm-hmm. or just kind of falling into it. Um, I think sometimes we don't know attention. where our body is in space, at least I, mm-hmm. because I would bump into people and, and have poor balance. I don't know if that's more characteristic There's, of people with ADD, but... Um, there is a subset of people with ADHD who, could, who have discoordination syndrome. Uh-huh. And I, I haven't seen recent statistics. I think... From some I've seen a long time ago is about 20% of people that, yes, they bump into things or, so, and it's, they, they can't, or they certainly aren't in sports because they oh. can't, uh, can't do those. I see. Well, what I hear now is about neuroplasticity and I don't think we know enough, but there's this, do you think it helps? in that way with early medication treatment that it helps you to create new pathways as you practice new behaviors so that I do and I um, and my thought comes uh from some very early that is early in the in the growth of the area it's not it's probably in or 2010 2012 where um the functional MRI and the MRI resolution got good enough as that technology advanced that they could actually measure the thickness of nerve bundles. And looking at children before anybody had taken medication. And then three years later, after they're taking medication, some of them, the ones taking medication had thicker nerve bundles going in the directions that they needed to. Hmm. So medication, my view, was helping those signals go. And, you know, it's it's a basic part of our body. You get more stress on a system. Now you're using a shovel all the time. You're going to uh-huh. get calluses. Your skin adapts. Well, yeah. you're sending these signals down this pathway and, Boy, growing, we growing need to have that more, part of your brain. more channels. We have to get this two-lane highway up to a four-lane yeah. yeah. interstate kind of thing. Well, so you, I think I it's very real in that, medication. Remember hearing that um, people got upset. They said it, that medicine changes your brain, and that they were doing it as a scare tactic. And I was saying, yes, it changes your brain. It makes it healthier. It's supposed to. That's the 
whole idea because that it changes your brain to be more doing what it's supposed to because your brain ways. it changes it in healthy doing. ways yes yeah your brain wasn't able to do what it's supposed to genetically um so it helps overcome that someone with diabetes they don't have a choice to um to make their blood sugar better when they are diagnosed with diabetes at age eight. Um, and that's not from eating behavior. That's because their insulin producing cells gave out. Mm-hmm. So we give them insulin that compensates for the problem. Mm-hmm. You give someone with ADHD whose brain isn't sending signals where it needs to, when it needs to, medication that helps it go there, well, you're solving the problem. Right. So, yes, it's changing the brain. It's supposed to. That's mm-hmm. the whole idea. And I I think in, in terms of getting back uh, to girls with ADHD, ADD, um, inattentive or combined, maybe less likely to get medication again because it's not recognized they aren't diagnosed. Um, and it's, I don't know that there's a bias against girls taking medicine versus boys. Uh, it's more in general. Diagnosis hasn't been made. I think it's missed more in girls, and maybe they're better at masking it. Uh, and so they don't get treated. As you say that, I think if historically women have always been looked on as the weaker sex with anxiety and all these problems. So you'd think we would, you know, kind of be pampered and say, oh, you poor dear, you have this condition. Let's help you with medication. Well, but it's not yeah. happening that way. No, well, the, what's diagnosed is, well, you're anxious. Yeah. <laughs> yes, this person is, this woman's anxious because she's not able to keep up with. Yeah, they, they feel better saying we're anxious and messed. depressed. Yes, and they go in to see a doctor because they're anxious and they're put on medicine for anxiety or yeah. depression. And I've seen a number of women who have been on medicine for anxiety. They start treating their ADHD. They don't need the anxiety medicine anymore. They don't have a primary condition of anxiety. That said, there are a number of people, 30-plus percent of people ADD, also have a separate diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Right. They may need two kinds. But you're still even going to relieve some of that anxiety if you relieve the anxieties around or performance from ADHD. Yeah, I think um, the whole area of psychiatry is going to be evolving as people end up with four and five diagnoses, and it's not, I mean, we're trying to define this, you know, you're this way, and that you're, where now that I've learned some about autism, I have a few autism um, behaviors, you know, and you're saying I have a few of those behavior uh, balance problems, you know, so we're, we're individuals and it, yes, it's just exactly. really hard to, to say. Um, but yeah, I one, wanted to give a shout out just, for my book. Yes, please do. Okay, which was here just we go. published a 
week or so? Absolutely. Living with a inattentive ADHD, which yes. is your personal story. Yes. Um, well, it's a memoir and it's a self-help book, but the where I think it is really valuable is in people who have family members who say, you don't have ADHD or, you know, they don't understand the broad impacts of this condition. I describe yeah. it. I describe in all the ways it impacted me in learning and losing things in in my parenting skills in burning things on the stove. I mean, just the whole range of stuff and how my life changed once I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Did you find there were some things, losing, losing things, whatever, um, that medication and treatment even strategies didn't help? I still have a poor memory. I don't think medicine helped my memory at all. And and if there were one for that, I surely would take it. No, yeah. but the other things... Um, I, it's a process. It was a process. It's not like yes. I was on a, a podcast the other day where she was, her inspirational metaphor was a, a caterpillar that went through chrysalis and then came out as a butterfly. I said, well, that's great. It's what beautiful image. But for someone with ADD, I think it's not going to happen over 30 days. It's going to be a three to five year process that you suddenly, that you, not suddenly, but you slowly become this new person who Mm -hmm. is very accepting of yourself and who, um, is in your areas of strength. So your, Mm -hmm. your self esteem, your self confidence has blossomed, but it's not like an overnight thing just because you got diagnosed. It's a process. And and probably the same with diabetics or some other com- condition. Oh yeah, there's a lot it. of learning to do, and a lot yes. of changing in how you live your life. And I think that's where, uh, if someone is dedicated to making a difference for themselves and for others around them, then they can do that. Educating and and looking at talking with people what are the better ways to do things, learning strategies for it. But it also, for other many people, they don't want to learn that or, oh, medicine's going to help it. Oh, it's not working. Well, I must just be not good or defective, and I can never do this. And some people that uh, say, oh, my house is just not organized and taking medicine that doesn't work, and the person has come in to see me for five years, and the story is always the same. I can't get to bed on time. I always have one more thing to do because the house is not is a mess and blah, blah. She's not looking at the things that really could help and just is kind of stuck. And I don't, I'm not sure how to help those people because someone who is interested in yeah, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna maybe do some of the group things through ADA or other groups or, uh, read yeah, you more. You have to have that motivation and I don't know where that yeah. would come from to take, well, what I, 
what I, what I wrote about is how I felt myself is to take one step at a time. Because I think where mm-hmm. people with ADD t- attempt is they see so many things that are wrong, they try to fix them all at once, and then they're in mm-hmm. overwhelm and they aren't successful. But I say do one thing and get successful at it, and then you're ready to do the next thing. And that mm-hmm. that's why I call it this climbing the circular staircase, because you're slowly going upwards, and you have to be willing to to know that it's a process. Yes, and it definitely is one step at a time. I've heard it said that um, neurotypical people may be more likely to take one step at a time on a task. People with ADHD jump into it and go everywhere at once. And that's where <laughs> they end up lost. Yes, you end up lost and figuring, well, that didn't work, but. You do take little steps, um, and unfortunately, we have to take the step of um, finishing up now. I'm sure we could continue uh, conversations on the different aspects of the overall topic of attention deficit disorder, whether with hyperactivity yes. and inattention, so-called combined or just the inattentive type. Um, and we have talked about a number of things in terms of how the diagnosis can be missed, how important it is to make that diagnosis early. And I think the two people who are two groups of people who see a child when they're young are the parents and the teachers and each group needs to learn more or be helped to learn more, and teachers particularly, um, so they can uh, see some of the flag behaviors beyond just the hyperactive. Yes. So yes, that's a good uh, I applaud message. your, that's a your good message. Uh, efforts in educating people that, yes, we need to screen children early, mm-hmm. and even if the screening results in saying, well, you don't have ADHD, it needs to be qualified, that we can see at this time. Yes. And if this and this and this keep going, then let's look at this again when you're in sixth grade. Right. um, To not uh, give people this impression that, oh, see, I got screened, I don't have ADD. Didn't show up yet. That's also certainly possible. Yes. Well, my guest today has been Cynthia Hammer, who is founder of Inattentive Coalition, Inattentive ADHD Coalition, and their website is iadhd.org. Cynthia's book, Living with Inattentive ADHD, also came out recently. And Cynthia, it has been a great pleasure to have you here on the program. Thank you, David. And take care, everybody. Uh, We'll talk to you next time.